Pericletos Media. Pericletos is an umbrella ministry for Christian books, movies, music, YouTube, and podcasts. Here on Pericletos Media Podcasts, it's an extension of that ministry umbrella by having one single podcast with many different speakers. A place to hear sermons, Bible studies, interviews, devotionals, and insights. Thank you for listening as we continue to grow with you together. We look forward to adding more great speakers in the future. For more information, go to www.houseofrestchurch.com and click on Pericletos Media. God bless. Amen. So, uh, I'm going to be, I, I won't say all over the map. I just, my sermon, it's in pieces. I didn't, I'm not sure how it's going to flow, if that makes any sense. The message, it's all in pieces. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit put it together. And on one sense, it doesn't make sense. On another sense, I know the Holy Spirit's going to have his way, and I believe that the topic of what I want to talk about is important. I'm going to talk about the spiritual unseen world and how we got that unseen world where we are. Then I'm going to talk about how we can trust God in the midst of the, the evils in the unseen world, the, the, the things that we face, um, the power and the benefits of adoption. But I'm going to start in a strange place in Romans chapter 9. The reason I'm in Romans 9, you may or may not realize that um, when I first began to minister uh, in the pulpit as a pastor, which was in two, October 31st, 2004, was the first service of Living Waters and Sparks, or in the Reno area. Uh, and, and so the Lord said to me, I want you to preach and minister through the uh, epistles of Paul. So I just started in, in as best order I could as I discovered what order he wrote them in. I just began to preach and minister through them. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, uh, Galatians, I think, and then First Corinthians, and then Romans. And I skipped, I didn't really do Second Thessalonians because it was a little hard for me at the time to preach through it. But eventually I'm going to go back and do it because it's got such end time stuff. And in the meantime, God's really educated me and brought me along, along in that area. But um, whether, believe it or not, I mean, I don't preach verse by verse necessarily, but I dig out these books in the order because I believe it was the direction of the Holy Spirit in, in what order I should minister. But when I preach in, in a book, uh, I get to a spot that's especially the revelation happens. And so I just stand there and then topics come and sometimes I get three or four messages way ahead of time. And so I just go with wherever, but whenever I get to where that, that vein is dead, I come back to where I started. And then I carry on through the epistles. So I, and, and what I do is I highlight every scripture I use that I preach from. This is just the preaching Bible. So I just highlight every scripture that's, uh, that I preach from. And one day before the Lord takes me home, I want to have this whole book covered up so that uh, I will know I have preached the entire counsel of the Lord. Um, but I'm, that's where we're starting. And so I say that to say I'm in Romans 9. And there are some places where I, I skipped because I was like, I didn't have a revelation. I don't understand exactly. I'm too nervous to approach it. And this time I got to that kind of here. I, I get the idea, but there's a big picture. And I'm like, ah, it's just not, you know, I don't know if I want to do it. And the Lord said, just do it. And I'll take care of it. Just study it out. Put it down. Talk to me about it. And we'll see where it is. So you guys are getting that. We'll see where it goes. I got to be obedient to the Lord. Um, so in Romans chapter 9, let's read verses 1 through 5. There's my uh, introduction. Actually, 1 through 5. Um, uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11, before I read, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is actually the part where Paul, the apostle, who was a Jewish uh, Pharisee, a Pharisee among Pharisees, and he is actually uh, preaching mostly to the Gentiles. He's preaching to the, but, but he preaches to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. And so he's preaching and ministering, and, and he would go, his, his pattern of, of preaching would be that he would go to a town where there was a synagogue. He would go into the synagogue and tell all the Jewish people that study the Bible, he goes, Jesus is the Messiah that you're looking for. Some of them would get, would receive Christ as Messiah. Some of them would stone him and throw him outside town and stone him and leave him for death. Then he would get up with the Jews that did believe, go back in, and they would take those Jews, then those Jews that believed Jesus is the Messiah would preach to the rest of the city. That was his pattern. That's how we did things. And the Bible says he was left for dead like 
uh, left for dead three times. And we know that by his own words in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he, he, he died, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But I know a man who was, who was uh, caught up into the third heaven. You know, and at one of those points of being stoned to death, chances are he died. And some scholars say that he probably died every single time. And that he got up and that he was actually killed three times for his faith. The Lord did say he was going to suffer for us. He would, he, you would, he would have to know how I would suffer for his sake. Now, I didn't mean to get into a review on, on uh, Paul, but it's, it's very important to understand the, how, the kind of passion he's about to bring in this text. And so what happened over time was more Gentiles, not Gentile being a non-Jewish person, were coming to faith in Christ and there were fewer Jews, so the population of the Gentile influence was growing. The Jewish influence in the church was not very big. And so the church kind of, over the years, we've gotten away from understanding the Jewish traditions that really help us to interpret the scriptures. And that's why we, you know, you, I reference Old Testament and New Testament, which I'm going to do today. But it's important for all of us to understand and know that so that we can understand the, the Old Testament is just the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. There's a, a lot of uh, prophecies and types and, and, and intonations that are in the Old Testament that have come out to be made manifest in the New Testament. And they're very clear. They're the fulfillment of the prophecies, some of the, most of the prophecies of the, all of the prophecies of the first coming of the Messiah. And, it, and the Old Testament still filled with prophecies of the second coming, as well as the New Testament has those as well. I mean, we are in that, uh, in that time. And so Paul says in verse chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans that one day the Jewish people will actually receive Jesus Christ as Messiah. But right now their eyes are blinded to that fact and they're not going to be able to see it for whatever reason God has for that. And so he says, but this is where he goes on to chapter nine. He says here, he says, I tell you the truth, verse one, in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bears witness with me in the Holy Spirit. Number one, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'll stand before God. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness uh, bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. My conscience and the Holy Spirit are in agreement with this. I'm telling you what, God will back me up when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. I would, I would go to hell. I would be an anathema. I myself would go to hell, from, uh, be separated from Christ and go to hell for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That is, all those people that don't receive Jesus Christ as Messiah, all the Jewish people that have rejected him, I would, if it were possible, I would separate myself from Christ and go to hell if it meant that they could all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a lot of love for a group of folks. How many of you would say, if my family could come to Jesus, I would gladly go to hell for eternity? That's, that, I don't know that I could say that. I mean, no. I mean, come on. I want them to come to Jesus, but I don't want to give up my covenant to do that. I, but this is a man, he's saying this. He said, and he's saying it with conviction. God is my witness that this is the kind of love I have who are Israelites, to whom, now this is where we get really good. He says, why? It's because if they knew who they were, they don't know who they are anymore because they rejected the truth. They, when, when, the, when the Jewish people as a whole rejected Christ at that time, they are Israelites to whom pertain. In other words, there's a lot of things that pertain to them. Who pertain what? The adoption. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how the Jewish people were adopted and how we, are, we, through Christ, are adopted into the promises. God adopted Abraham out of, and, and he adopted Israel. He adopted Abraham and Israel out of the world and out of, out of that. And he gave them promises. And, and, the, and then the same way that through Christ we are adopted in Ephesians chapter 1, we become adopted. We actually get adopted into the very promises of Scripture. The promises. You know, what's that uh, chapter, Deuteronomy 28? Is that what it is? Where you have the blessings on one side and the cursings on the other? And everybody, and I used to wrestle with this, but God gave me a great revelation on it. I claim every blessing that's in Deuteronomy 28. And somebody told me, well, if you claim all the blessings in Deuteronomy 28, then you've got to take all the curses in Deuteronomy 28, and you've got to live your life the way they did. And I said, heck no, Jesus is the curse. He took the cost, and I can take all the blessings because Jesus paid all the price. I'm going to live in my life, and I can take all the blessings. 
says everything in him is yes and amen. Isn't that fun? Oh my God. I love that good revelation like that and put the devil on his heels and quit using a guilt trip and a shame trip on me because I'm walking out my life. Yeah, I got problems. Yeah, you don't want to hear what's going on in the back of my head sometimes, but I take it to the cross. If we falter, if we say we don't sin, we make God out to be a liar. But I know that my identity is no longer sinner. It is a child of God. Born again, I'm covering the righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And if I do falter, I have an advocate in heaven at the right hand of the Father who is immediating for me and standing in the gap for where I falter. He said, Father, don't do it. Don't judge him. The devil's accusing him. Don't judge him. I paid for his price. Remember, Father. I paid for his sin. I paid the price for his life. Oh, man. Devil's already scared. The adoption. We're adopted into those promises. But also, more than the adoption, there is the glory. To them was the glory, the very presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory in the, in the Holy of Holies. They stewarded it. They got to steward the glory. They got to be in that presence. But oh my gosh, don't we get to be in the presence of God through Jesus Christ? Oh, Jesus, who, who, who is the very image of God. He, we beheld the glory as if he were the, the, the Son of God, the one and only, John 1.14. We beheld the glory. But there's more of that. I'm going to dig. Hopefully over weeks, over the next coming times, I'm going to be digging these out. The covenants, the covenants, which is uh, Abraham, Jacob and Isaac, Moses, David. God made covenants over and over again. And it was through the Jewish people that God made those covenants, ultimately culminating uh, in the promise of the Messiah, which is what we just read. Right. The thank thank. God for his, immeas- his immeasurable gift. He gave us, the- we give each other gifts, financial support, love, encouragement, generosity, but he gave us the greatest in- inconceivable loving gift in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's the adoption, the glory. This belongs to the Jewish people. This is theirs. The covenants, the giving of the law, he even says, the, the giving of the law and through Moses and the service of God, which is the, the priestly working inside uh, the, the Levitical law and, the, and that. That's theirs. And the promises are theirs. That is that the Canaan land, that that land should be theirs, that there would be a Jewish kingdom. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. As he goes on to say, according, uh, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. The eternally blessed God, amen. The eternally blessed God, amen. And he is the seventh uh, benefit of the Jewish people. You have adoption is one. The glory of God is another. The covenants of God is another. The giving of the law, the service of God is five. The promises and then and, uh, is six. And seven is Jesus Christ himself, who is actually the very essence of each and every one of those all encapsulated in a person. That's so cool. Amen. This is Romans chapter nine, verses one through five. He executed this plan. He began this plan to reveal himself through the Jewish people. God did. After Adam and Eve sinned and then populated the earth. You guys know this little, little, little Bible history. You guys, you guys all know this. And, and the Bible says that the sons of God came down and took wives of themselves or the daughters of men. And they begat Nephilim. In those days and the days afterward, there were giants in the land, the offspring became the men of renown. And then God saw the wickedness of man and judged the earth. And there was Noah. No one was righteous but Noah and his sons and his sons' wives and his, and his wife. And they were on the boat. And they, uh, the ark, the flood came. And the ark delivered them. And then after the ark, uh, God made another covenant with Noah, which would be human government. That is the authority of man over, the, over actually the animal kingdom. Because now, from now on, the animals are be more afraid, and there's just this whole thing where mankind was sort of the king of the earth, as it, as, as it were, and that was a covenant with the Noahic covenant. And then the rainbow was a sign of that, that he wouldn't bring judgment, but that mankind had a, an authority. But what mankind did with that authority was they built their own religious culture. They denied the right living God that delivered them. They built a tower that would go to heaven, the Tower of Battle, right? That's right. And so when they built that, let's, let's just make bricks, let's dry them, and let's build a tower. And the whole thing was, let's make a tower. I think the Bible says it, let's, it goes to heaven. 
And it really wasn't about the height of the tower, but it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But it wasn't about the height. What did they do at the top of this ziggurat, this tower? They set up idols of all of these different false god systems at the top. They didn't worship Yahweh. They worshiped all of these other false gods. I would like to just remind you that these false gods were not imaginary conjunctions. These were the fallen angels who positioned themselves between God and man to receive the worship that man was meant to give to God. God's destruction of the Tower of Babel was to destroy the false idolatry and the false worship. Isn't it what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? He says, listen, uh, you know what? This, this, this stone is nothing. And you, the meat you eat offered to this stone is, is nothing with the meat. But the stone behind the stone idol, it has eyes, but it doesn't hear. It has ears, but it, it has eyes, but it doesn't see. Ears, but it doesn't hear. There's nothing about the stone that looks like an idol, but behind the stone there is a spirit. Okay, so you need to understand the stone is nothing, but there really is a spirit behind the stone getting people to take their eyes off of God. And you can eat meat off of the idol, but don't go out in public because then you're going to endorse it. But if you're witnessing to somebody and they invite you over and they want you to have some meat that you know is offered to an idol, don't refuse it. Don't make a big deal about it, but don't go down, you know. Listen, behind behind the bottle, there's a spirit. There's an alcohol, behind the alcohol, behind the chemical, there's a spirit, yeah. right? And, and you might, you might be, somebody offers you a glass of wine or wherever you are on that. Let's just use that as an example. Wherever you are on that. But you don't need to go down to the club every night <laughs> and get tanked to demonstrate your freedom. Because you're going to cause somebody to stumble. You might have your own freedom, but let's, let's keep that realizing there's a bigger picture here. There's a spiritual war we're fighting, and the consequence is the souls of men. It's the souls of men. So again, I'm just using that as an example to let us understand that behind there's a spirit. I want to talk about that spiritual war for a minute. I'm going to talk about the adoption and the, the blessings that we get from adoption. But I want to understand, we need to understand that we once belonged to the world. And in the world, we don't know Jesus. We're not in the adoption. But in the world, the father of the world is the devil. The authority of the world is the devil. So they, they set up this, this, this false worship system at the Tower of Babel. And how many of you know that, um, again, uh, in, in Deuteronomy 32, 8, and 9. Now, I'm going to read this from the King James Version. I don't like it, but I wonder, is there anybody in here with a Good News Bible translation on hand? Is there anybody here with a New English translation or with a English Standard Version? Nobody, probably. So you have to take my word for it when I share this to you, if that's okay. Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. So what happened at the Tower of Babel, guys? We know this, that God, when he went to the Tower of Babel, and I'm just reviewing this because there's so much to read. He went to the Tower of Babel and he said, we, these guys, they could do a lot together. They're going to worship all of these gods. We're going to destroy this. And what does he do? He confounds their language. And he sends them out to different nations, different areas of the earth, right? You can see a map and there's a table of nations. When you read the table of nations... It, it, trust me, you, you go do this research yourself if you don't believe me, check out what I say. But out of that, there were multiple languages, but when, when you see where the peoples went, there were 70 nations that were created. That number is kind of important. 70 nations that were created. How many, how many did Jesus send out his disciples in? Send them out in 70s. Right? One time he sent them out in 12s and 2 by 2s, but he sent them out in groups of 70. How many, um, so you have those 70, uh, the 70 nations that are created out of those people, people groups, okay, in those different languages. And so in, and uh, so anyway, I don't know how to explain it this way. I have to take a pause and explain something else too. Now listen, I, the Bible is the holy word of God. Oh, yes. Uh, okay, but when I get ready to read it. So you hang on to it. Does it say according to the sons of men or sons of God? What does it say in verse 8 or 9? 32, 8, 9? Yeah. One the most high gave to the nations their inheritance. Like that? Yeah. Um, oh, I'm in Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, just hang on to that, okay, for me, Justin. 
I believe that I'm correct in that. So I got to say this, though. The reason that the number 70 is important is I'm just going to I'm going to reference a book that is not in the Bible as a historical document. And that's the book of Enoch. OK, now I'm not just arbitrarily using it. Jude references it, quotes it directly. Jesus inferred it. There's over a hundred inferences of it in the scripture. Another book is the book of Jasher. Another book is the book of uh, uh, Jubilees. The Bible says, in the, according to the book of Jubilees, this is how things went. According to the book of Enoch, this is how it quotes it. It's not, didn't make it into the canon of scripture of the 66 books, but it is referenced. It is inferred. And it does explain some of the things uh, in terms of helping us to interpret in the context to keep the Bible pattern and historical. So the only thing I'm going to say out of this is the number 70 in the book of Enoch, the only thing that's important is that the Bible tells us of the, the, the fallen watchers, a particular group of fallen angels, there were 70 of them that landed upon that, that left. And they landed upon a mountain and it says that they set up their own kingdoms in order to undermine Yahweh. So all I want to say that is say that. Say that in particular. Because there's 70 nations that are created, and that's important when we read Deuteronomy 32. There are, uh, again, Jesus would take his, his disciples out and send them out by 70. Does that make sense? And so, um, and, and there were 70, Moses gathered, it says 72 uh, people in the center of the camp, uh, but some translations actually put it out at 70, depending on which scriptures you read. But it's 70 or 72. So there's a reason that there's this number 70. It contrasts, oh, the 70 elders went up on the mountain to eat with the Lord, with Moses. Okay, why 70? Because God's picking his own 70, giving them the Holy Spirit to oppose the 70 that are trying to undermine his worship. He did it with Moses and he did it with Jesus. If you look at it this way. Um, and this is why it's important when we talk about adoption to understand what God pulled us out. He pulled us out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light for the purpose of declaring his praises. What is that darkness? It is not flesh and blood. It is not, uh, it's principalities and powers and evils and wicked forces according to evil, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. There is a spiritual realm out there that is literally trying to keep us suppressed and keep anybody that doesn't know Jesus in slavery and bondage. And every time we come to know Jesus, when we do, he wants to make our lives so miserable. We don't talk about the joy of God. And so we have to understand we're in a spiritual battle, spiritual conflict. We have to take this thing seriously. Now, I don't want to talk about the fact that every, underneath, oh, there's a demon underneath every chair. There is a demon underneath every chair. I mean, there is always a devil. You know, you're not paranoid. They are out to get you. But here's the deal. We have authority over those That's things. Right. We're not the victim. Yes. But in Christ, we're raised up and seated into heavenly places high above any principality with Christ. That's right. So we don't dismiss it, but we also got to pay attention to it because he wants to entice us, draw us away from our faithfulness and our relationship with God to make us ineffective in our faith. Yeah. And there's a spiritual conflict. That's why he says put on the armor of God. That's why he says pray daily. That's why he says set your mind and your heart upon the things of God, upon Scripture, upon Scripture. So now I want to read this. This is what it says in the King James Version. Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. It says, when the Most High divided up their inheritance, this is Moses talking about how he divided the people after the Tower of Babel, okay? This is the context. When the Most High divided up their inheritance to the nations, he separated the sons of Adam and set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of the children of Israel. The Lord's portion is his, is his people. Jacob is the inheritance of his inheritance. Okay, so... When I looked it up in the original uh, Hebrew, it actually says the sons of Israel. But again, how many of you know that there's, where we get our Bible from, the ancient text? There's uh, piles of scrolls, and this, this is textual criticism for how we got the Bible that we have. Well, we have an English translation of original languages. It's three different languages, Arabic, Hebrew, and Greek. And it's compiled, and this is a codex, right? The, the textual, the uh, academic term is it's a codex. That is, a codex is just a collection of scrolls, which the word codex is actually book. So basically, it's a book of all the scrolls compiled to keep it together. Pretty simple in that regard. And so <clears throat> the, there's, there's some uh, 
the historical texts that we have, and some, even prior to the King James translation, has the translation I'm about to read that Justin's going to read. And, the, and those translations are founded by the Dead Sea Scrolls. So when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had far more evidence than they ever had to confirm and validate certain uh, uh, groups of writings. Egypt has piles of scrolls. The Vatican has piles of scrolls. Different uh, parts of Russia, they have piles of these ancient scrolls. And, and there's, there's tons of them, but these collections of books. And so why does one translation is slightly different than another translation? It's because somebody translated it from these piles of scrolls. And, and they didn't take these piles of scrolls into account. Well, what some of the more modern translations do is they put it all together, and they, they don't mix it up. What they do is show these are the most consistent translations. This, this three out of four of these scrolls piles in Isaiah 5 says this. Let's just say that, for example. Are you guys following my mind? I didn't mean to digress on that whole textual thing on how we get it. We can... Absolutely every word of every Bible is the Holy Spirit's going to use it. But I want us to understand why there's a difference in what we're about to read. If that makes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Justin, could you please read that out loud? I just read it that he divided the nations up according to the sons of Israel. That's right. But at the time of the Tower of Babel, it was before he called Abraham, how would he divide it up according to the sons of Israel? Because they didn't exist. It doesn't make sense. So go ahead, Justin. Read. Oh, you've got up on Google. Good. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Get Jacob his allotted heritage. It makes more sense that way. In other words, what sons of God? The fallen ones. The ones who came down prior to the flood. And there was 70 of them. He made 70 nations. There's a pattern there. It's not, I'm not, I'm just telling you, I'm just putting these pieces together for the, for the nature of the spiritual war that we're in. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. I don't want you to think Pastor Rick is some kind of heretic. I just want to follow the thought. So Moses is saying that he divided the nations based upon the sons of God, all the Gentiles, but he picked... Uh, the tr Jacob for himself. Further evidence. A a a God picked Abraham, and then out of uh, he, he adopted Abraham. Then Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac was a miracle child. Through your seed, the world shall be blessed. And then uh, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob, uh, I love. Esau, I hated. I made a choice. And out of Jacob came twelve tribes of Israel. Those twelve tribes of Israel were, grew up, and then they got in. Uh, Joseph, you know the story of Joseph. They're in Egypt now. And then they're, they're, uh, over the time, over 400 years, they became part of uh, in, in Egypt culture, but they became slaves because they grew up Pharaoh who did not know who Joseph was, and he lost the favor, and then they became slaves because now they became afraid of them. And then God sent Moses in to bring deliverance to them. Another case in point. How many of you realize that when God sent Moses in to fight and deliver, say, let my people go, that he attacked, he would bring in... Uh, on one time, he said, it's going to be dark home for 24 hours. It's going to be, he's going to block out the sun. That was a direct attack. That wasn't just an arbitrary thing. That was a direct attack on the fact that Egypt had a sun god named Ra. And he says, who's better, God or Ra? Yahweh or Ra? So God said, Yahweh's going to knock Ra out of the sky until I decide. <laughs> and that's the deal. And then there was a god of grasshoppers, and there was a god of locusts, and there was a god of frogs, and there was a god, and every time, he said, tell your gods, go appease your gods, get them to do it. You can't do it, because why? Because I'm in charge of everybody. Amen. He wasn't, these weren't arbitrary things. This was an attack upon their faith and their religious system of the false gods, these S70, that had set themselves up in the world power. They were holding God's people captive in their world system. Paul himself says that Egypt is a type of the world, that Pharaoh is a type of the devil, and that G Moses is a type of Christ who went in to deliver them. And when they got delivered, they, they, he, he spoke, consider this. He says that the last plague is the plague of the, 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 the death of the firstborn. Right? And, the, and, the, and so the, the only way to keep the angel of death is to take the blood of, of, uh, of, of the, uh, the offering lamb, put it on the doorpost and on the lentil of your house, so when the angel comes by, 
he sees the blood on your house and he passes over, then that's where we get the celebration of Passover. But as the angel of death passes judgment over your house because it sees the blood upon your house. In the same way, the blood of Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away right. the sin of the world. And yes. we put the blood of Christ over the door, doorposts of our heart. And we are not subject, ultimately, to the fate of death. Uh, eternal separation from God, nor physical death. Amen. We die, but we have a resurrection that we hope for. This is the great hope, is the resurrection. Alright, I'm having fun. I hope you guys are okay. Anyways, but death was also a god they served. There was the god of the Hades, the underworld. And, 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 and he, couldn't, he couldn't do anything to save Pharaoh's kids or uh, son or anybody. So he finally let him go. And so the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and then walking through the Red Sea, we equate that to water baptism, and then Egypt army that came in after them is crushed. That's, that's, uh, uh, that was uh, baptism, that's the flesh staying in the water, and that's the, 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 new, the new creation going through to the promised land, which is the relationship with Jesus Christ. All of that's a type and a shadow, but the spirits behind that system are not pretend. Because we know that Paul carries them over in Ephesians chapter 6. What is it that, um, uh, Linda, you, you quoted uh, the Philippian scripture, that the reason, or, or John, the purpose that the Messiah came was to destroy the works of the devil. He made a mockery of him when he died upon the cross. It was a conflict. That was, it didn't say to come and keep Linda out of, out of hell. That's part of it, but it was to take away the authority of, of, of the enemy off Linda, so Linda wouldn't go to hell based upon their lives. But the only way to do that, to get Linda's attention, is to get the devil's, get devil's influence off of Linda. So it came to attack the devil and to defeat the devil's opposition so that we can have a choice and not be bound by sin but come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual war. We don't want to put that reality away. We can get caught up in not understanding what we're in. We have the same authority as Christ. Okay, I'm going to try to bring us back in a minute. Oh, man. According to the number of the sons of God. And now God promises the land through uh, Abraham's descendants that they're about to take. Look to me with me to Genesis chapter 15. I know we don't have any overhead, so for me, I've got to turn the old school paper here. Move these dead trees to different branches. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 to 16. And God's making this promise and this covenant with Abram. Now, this is amazing. He said, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge that nation. Afterward, they shall come out with great possession. Now, as far as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, God says, Abram, see, look around you. This is all yours. But you know what? Only your descendants are going to get it. And not only that, it's going to be 400 years before your descendants get it. How many of you want to get a promise and say, you know what, uh, Janice? You're going to have all manner of wealth, but you're not going to really get it. Your descendants are going to get it. How many of you would have the ability and the faith to continue to serve God with that kind of expectation? It's my money and I want it now. I know, I didn't mean, but, but Abraham, Abram lived with that kind of faith and that kind of expectation. That's why he's called what? The father of our faith. Because he believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. But Hebrews tells us when he could, he could raise that sacrificial uh, uh, blade to give his own son a sacrifice to Christ because he believed, Hebrews tells us this, that he believed that God could raise his son from the dead. That's faith. Stop, Abraham, I know that you love me. Not that God calls us to do those things. He, he calls us to, to die, but he was, it was a type. He wouldn't really make anybody do that, but nothing that he himself wouldn't do, which he did. He was the father of our faith. So for 400 years, and, and the story I just told you, the story of Moses delivering those people is exactly what happened. 400 years, they were in captivity, and God sent Moses in to deliver them. This is a prophetic word. 
uh, you know, why do you think that the Bible is any more special than the Quran or the ancient writings or what Buddha has to say or, you know, the good poems of John Donne? What is, what is the way of the philosophies? And, and don't you think that the Bible sort of appropriated all of those things and put the good, you know, why do you think the Bible's any different? You know what? There's other good writings out there who, who reveal the invisible nature and attributes of God. They might help you live a moral life. But there's none, there's none of those writings that has prophecy embedded in it to describe the fact that it's true. God says, I'm writing this down ahead of time. So when it comes to pass, you will recognize that I wrote it down. I made it come to pass. And then it was fulfilled and it was documented. And you know that it was me that said it. That's the reason why we have prophecy. So we can know that this comes from God and nothing else. The Quran doesn't have prophecy. Buddha doesn't have prophecy. No, none of this is what, what makes the Bible separate and special is the prophetic nature of this scripture. And so we have that. And so even prophecies within prophecies, and it fulfills its own prophecies. Not even the prophecies. The reason we know the prophecies that are yet to come are going to come to pass is because of the ones that have already come to pass. Right. Oh, man, I've got to speed up or I'm not going to get to where I'm going. The essence is that God adopted Israel through Abraham. When he made, he made this covenant with Abraham, he said, I'm, I'm making a covenant with you, and I'm going to draw you out of the world. What the 70, those 70 guys can go do their own thing, and those 70 fallen angels, and, and I'm going to give, you go over there, and you can worship Zeus, you can worship uh, Odin and Thor, you can worship uh, Ashtoreth and, and Baal, you can worship all these god systems that are making themselves up, I'm going to pick out mine, and we're going to have a contest, and in the course of time, when my son is manifest through my people, you guys tell me who's got more power. I'll keep playing this game until you get it. And they went out there, and they did that. <clears throat> A little, a little um, quick story. I'll keep reading here and then I'll come back to that. God adopted Israel. Hosea 11.1 1 basically says that. Hosea, Joel. Hosea. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets after Daniel. And Hosea, Hosea 11, chapter 11, verse 1. And it simply says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. He called Israel, he called Egypt, he called the nation of Israel out of Egypt to become, no longer, as, we, as I just described, that Egypt is a type of the world, I called him out of the world, out of the authority of Pharaoh, and I gave him liberty and freedom under my name and under my worship. The part that I already did was right here, so we... We need to understand that God became the father of Israel in the same way God becomes our father. Um, before I move on, that's just the first part. That's just like a mini sermon of the spiritual war, how we got where we are. Can I say this to you? That when you overlay in, in the book of Genesis, the table of nations where everybody goes to, you can look at a Bible map and come back and tell me if I'm wrong if you go back and evidence it. If you look at those table of nations after the Tower of Babel where all of those nations went, all those peoples went, they've made 70 nations in time. Then overlay Paul's first and second missionary journeys on top of that. What you'll discover is that Paul took the gospel to every single one of those high places of those false god systems and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and pulled people out of their captivity of the gospel. It's really cool that God is thinking of long-term plans. From the time of the Tower of Babel to the time, <coughs> to the time of Jesus Christ was um, to, uh, to, uh, 2,000 plus uh, probably about, about a 2,000 year period at least, somewhere right around that because God worked in those, those kind of things and in 2,000 years, Jesus was manifest and Paul took the gospel and pulled people out of the captivity I'll tell you another thing, the Mount of Transfigurations when he was on the Mount of Transfigurations, do you know where he was? he was right near uh, a temple of Diana and a temple of Zeus he displayed when Peter said, who, who, when God said to Peter right, right out before that, he said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this and a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. But some say, but who do you say that I am? I say, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, Peter, praise God. Because nobody, man, flesh and bone did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Amen. In other words, he was in front of these temples similar to what was on the top of the Tower of Babel, in front of these temples, 
the disciples declared Jesus to be the Messiah and the only one that really should be worshipped. In front of his followers. He came to do that. We don't want to make too big a deal out of the devil, but we need to put it in its right place of context that Jesus did that battle for us already. And it's a real battle. Yeah. I don't want to make too much. We don't. I, I, it's just the reality. We need to understand. We don't need to be protected from the Bible and our Western thought. If we don't take the, if we don't take the Jewish thought on what was going on, we miss a lot of this. Anyway, I hope that was okay. Now, why? Because I feel like, what is it like for adoption? What happens during adoption? And, and, and there's so much. And there's so much that we can talk about the orphan spirit, the destructions, and, and good fathers and bad fathers. And, and, and I, I, was, I just didn't know where to go with this, but I was studying, and the Lord led me to Psalm chapter 10. I'm just, now I'm going back to the adoption part. In Psalm chapter 10, what a father, a good father does. Psalm chapter 10, verses 14 to 15. A father. But you have seen, verse 14 of Psalm 10, you have observed trouble and grief, and you repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you, but you are the helper, what? Of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of earth may oppress no more. The benefits of having a father are many. There is acceptance. There is Confidence. Do you know there is, a, uh, there is a real attack on the identity of the father in our culture? This whole gender bender uh, yeah. rules and, and, and all of this sexuality becoming identity is completely opposite of what a good father brings to the children. You have to understand, too, the three main gods in ancient Canaan land that God wanted to destroy, the Israelites destroyed, were Baal, Ashtoreth, and Moloch. Baal was the god of all-powerful God, lightning strike. He's similar to Thor and, um, and Hercules. These guys are all kind of the same guy. Not Hercules, but um, Zeus. And they're all kind of the same guy. So Zeus, Thor, and, and Baal. They're all, in, in essence, the same spirit in different forms over these different cultures. And so he was the God of power and, 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 and this, this greedy, uh, grotesque abuser of power. Astra was uh, a god, uh, actually the worship of Ashtoreth, the men who are, the men who are the priests of Ashtoreth, would actually paint one side of their face like a woman and leave the other like a man. They, they, that's a spirit behind the whole transgender thing that is going on. So we are seeing the invasion of that spirit. It doesn't have a temple per se, but now it does because there was a temple of Baal that has invaded our coastline. And it's not even hiding behind. For, oh, there's no such thing. People are leaving the church and going to paganism. Yeah. Right. And, it's right. and it's true. Because the spirits are on the uprise. And the reason that we have all of this stuff and the attack, it started with the attack on the Father. It started with freedom of sexuality. And most of pagan worship had sexual orgiastic sort of participations with it. And by the way, it's also related with why they say women shouldn't preach in church. I don't, oh man, did I open up a can of worms? <laughs> but it, it is, the reason they don't, because I don't allow, oh, anyway, don't go there, you won't get through this one. Oh man, my stomach's sinking, how much time do we have? I want to talk about, I want to talk, you say that, somebody behind you might not be, I don't know. So, thank you. <clears throat> I got, and it's hard when I preach to different congregations, amen. It's hard when I preach to different congregations, um, and sometimes, um, go to go to First Timothy chapter two. Might as well address it, because I'm here, I'm trying to hear the Spirit. First Timothy chapter two. Okay, right here. Go to verse chapter 2, verse uh, 10. 
No, no. Starting in verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, that with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, can't have anything expensive, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence and with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and with self-control. Don't preach, don't talk, be quiet, don't have any expensive clothes, no expensive jewelry, don't get your hair did. That, that is what it says. But that is not, our interpretation is not what it means. I don't know, I don't want to get too convoluted, but the devil is a sneaky, sneaky trickster. And here's the deal. What you don't understand is that Timothy was preaching in Ephesus. In Ephesus, the number one temple was the goddess Diana, who was Ashtoreth, who was, um, who, who was just all of that. And the way that you did business in Ephesus was, I'm a, say I'm a used car salesman, and I've got a good, pretty good business going, and I want to buy a lot across town and start up my used car sales business across town. But I can't do it unless I get permission of the high priestess of Diana's temple. So the way I do that is, and pardon what this sounds like, but you go to the temple, you give some money, you drink some stuff, you have an open uh, sexual encounter with the high priestess in front of everybody, and then she tells you whether or not this is a good plan or not. That, that's what Temple Diana worship was. Okay? So, what was happening was that these ladies were coming to the church when they would have an encounter with God. These Gentile women would come to the church. And they were looking to bring in, their, they were dressing up like the temple jobs that they had. They were trying to treat a man the way they were trained to treat a man. Paul says that's not the order of things. The sexual encounter, as he says, is, is for an intimate time between one man and one woman. And what you're doing, you don't bring that into the church. I'm not going to let you come in here and let this man have to suck up to you to get permission for you to do something in the sense that that's not it. It doesn't mean be silent. In other words, don't practice your divination inside the house of God. It wasn't saying be quiet. It was a very specific attack upon that spirit of Diana that was invading the church. Donna Howell uh, the hand, uh, handmaidens, not the handmaidens tale, but there's the handmaiden. Uh, anyway, I'll get that information for you. But there's a lot of research, and I've, backed, I've looked at the research, and it's a phenomenal explanation. It made so much sense to me that I can repeat it without having to, and I can give you the references. It's, it's just amazing. It just validated what the Lord spoke to my heart all those years ago, and I believe that women have, have I mean, because where do you go? Because look at this. Here's another question um, about preaching. It says, I do not permit a woman to speak or to teach or to have authority over a man. In what context? Why? But, well, what about the fact that he didn't want a woman to uh, adorn themselves? How many women have braids in their hair? Why doesn't nobody get up and go, well, that woman's got braids, get her out of the church? In some churches they do in the holiness church, right? I get it. But most people who still adhere to women can't speak or, or, or teach in a church, they, they say... Um, they, they, they pick this middle part out. I want a woman to be silent and not to teach and have authority over men. But nothing on the top of that. That's all cultural. And everything behind, underneath it's cultural. Only that verse is literally to be interpreted today. My, my question is why? But when you go and ask why, God gives you the answer when you study it out. The context wasn't Paul was not a chauvinist. Paul, Aquila and Priscilla preached Apollo. Taught, she taught Apollo. Priscilla taught Apollo the right interpretation of the word of God. And Paul, he, he, he advertises that fact. Is he contradicting himself or are we missing something? I think we're missing something. I'm sorry I went down that bunny trail because that's no, not where I was going. What's going on with the Father? You're a different congregation. I mean, maybe there's not a lot of Father issues that need to be dealt with in the same way. In the spirit. Um, 
as it was in Sparks last week when I got this out. Whew. All right, are you guys okay still? Yes. I'm gonna bring it in for a landing. <laughs> Let's go back to Psalm 10. Let's see if we can, anyway. Can you tell I'm a little bit passionate about that? Yeah. And you're fighting a spiritual system that tries to disqualify half the church yeah. from doing the job of the body of Christ. Yes, there, there's proper order. But that scripture has been used to oppress and has given Paul, Jesus, and the church a bad name because people have misapplied it because of a spirit that came along with it to keep us from being powerful. The letter kills, but the spirit brings life. That's a New Testament scripture. We can even take New Testament scriptures and treat them like the Ten Commandments. Okay, listen. How do we get into salvation? Let me just close with this. We'll come, maybe I'll close with the Father or not, but let me share this thing that's on my heart. Do you guys get the blessings of having prophetic service? How do we get the blessings of God? It's by grace. Abraham is the father of faith because he received that word by faith. And he obeyed out of faith. And God can, uh, accredited his count righteous because of faith. But what would come? We look back on Jesus, who did come, who was the promise of Abraham, the indescribable gift that God gave us. And we look back and we receive that gift in our own heart. We're, on the, we're 2,000 years on the other side of Abraham. And yet Abraham believed forward. We're believing that what, what God said is what he did. And that he'll do it again. And so it's by grace you've been saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 3. And it's by grace you've been saved through faith. A, a, a gift of God, not of works. So that no one can boast and say, I earned my way into heaven and I am comparable to God. It was by grace. But what happens is that we take the grace message of the promise of Abraham through Jesus Christ and we come into the church. Then we get into the church and then we tell everybody, go back there and study the Ten Commandments and let Moses be your Sunday school teacher. And we come underneath the law in order to be good people. And we're it's crazy. The law is only there to tell us we need grace. Once we get into grace, it's grace that gets us in and grace that keeps us in. It's nothing of ourselves. We can never earn God's favor. We can't do anything to keep God's favor other than to accept or reject the person of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. We put all of these legalisms and the spirit of legalism to all of this stuff because we are insecure and we have fear. We're critical because we, we don't know whether, truly, we really don't know whether we deserve that forgiveness. And we think, oh my gosh, it can't be that easy. God, what do I have to do? It actually is way easy. Surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Ask him to teach us the true power of, of, of everything that is in this word. Let him be our father. I do feel verse 17 of chapter 10 is what he wants to do to bring us in for a landing. I want to share that. And then, uh, and then maybe we'll close with 2 Corinthians 12. Maybe. We'll see. We should be closing quickly. 17 says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. The word humble is also oppressed. You've heard the longing. You've heard the longing of the oppressed. The thing about God is that he hears us through Jesus Christ. He, you know you're heard. Sometimes you don't need the answer. This is, I feel like this is just prophetic. You don't, need, you don't need to even know the answer. You just need to know that God heard you. Once you know that God heard you, peace comes. You go, okay, I don't know how you're going to handle it, but I know you heard me and you're on it. I can go to sleep now and I can quit worrying. Yeah. And then tomorrow we'll work on a strategy or figure out what you want me to do. But I need to know that you heard me. Not only did that, here, he hears the desire of the oppressed. You will prepare. So he hears the desire of the oppressed. And then he begins to work at solving the problem. This is something, how many of you know, if I, if I needed a million dollars, if I desired a million dollars, I was going to solve my financial problems, well, a million dollars would solve my financial problems. The truth is, if I had a million dollars, it probably wouldn't be enough. Because the minute I get a million dollars, I'm going to want more. If I can't be content with my one dollar, I'm not going to be able to be a good steward of a million. You can come in and go out just as easily. I don't appreciate and give thanks. I'm not generous with it. But what God begins to do, though, is he begins, he begins to 
the first step in giving you a practical answer is to prepare your heart to receive the answer. Notice what he does when he hears the oppressed. He says, he begins, says verse 17, the Lord, Lord, you have heard the desire, the longings of the oppressed, so you prepare their heart. He begins by preparing a heart to receive it. How many of you know sometimes we're oppressed because we've rejected the truth? And if we're oppressed, there's a truth we need to know so we can be delivered. And he prepares our heart to hear the truth. You shall know the truth, Jesus Christ, and the truth shall set you free. But it's our heart that has to hear that truth first. If I can't steward a million dollars, I can get a lottery, but I'm going to be broke and probably dead in three years. How many know people that get the lottery that never had any money? They're broke and or, and or dead within three years because they don't know how to handle that. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. You will make it to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Before he acts in your benefit of your circumstances, he prepares your heart to see that it's him that's acting. What means we have to be honest? It means we have to be transparent. It means we have to be viciously, violently, aggressive in our desire to get to the very throne of God and be in his presence. Second Corinthians chapter 12. You guys know the story. I shared this a little bit online this morning, but I'm going to close. I am closing with this. Paul was being caught up into heaven. He saw wonderful things that a man shouldn't see. And because he saw all this revelation that he couldn't even talk about, God gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. And he asked the Lord three times, please take this away from me. It's a, it's a devil that's tormenting me. There's a thing. Whatever it is, we can discuss what, it, discuss what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Right now, he said, God, I wanted you to take it away from me. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to go through this. But he said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Oh, this, I'm, 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 I'm thrown by this. My strength is perfect. God's strength is perfect. It's complete. It's whole. He's self-reliant. There's nothing that he needs from us. But it's, if it's, it's great, his strength is perfect without me. But it says my strength is made perfect in weakness. He's not weak. For it is by grace you've been saved. The only way that, but the word perfect means complete. It means to be made whole. In other words, he's got this awesome strength in who he is. But the only way that strength is made whole is when he gets up into my weakness. In other words, his strength was designed and ministered to my family. That's what his purpose is. The purpose of his strength is to be revealed when it meets our weakness. There is nothing that is too ugly that we cannot confess it to God. There is nothing that we should be ashamed of. There is nothing that can compare to what we receive and we are honestly, deeply transparent and honest with God and say, God, come into my heart. Open me up. Show me, God, what I need to get out of. I want to keep no secrets from you. I can't tell everything to everybody, but there are things I don't want. You know everything about me. I want to lay myself bare because I want to be the best manifestation and expression of the righteousness of God and Christ that you've made me that I could possibly be. And I don't want the devil to have one iPhone of influence over my life. Amen. That's all that the history. Father, I thank you. I pray, God, that your spirit is moving. I, I know that the scriptures and the, the accounting, the process, this was all from you. I added, you added some. I took some away and I'm I just pray that the, the, the nugget of what you want to do, Holy Spirit, was done, spoken, and preached. I pray, God, for the, for the true power of the gospel to break off religious boundaries on our mindsets. Father God, that we can be free to walk in the true liberty, the deliverance from the slavery of sin and the bondage of the devil. We can walk in it. The devil will try to re-throw his bonds on us, but we reject that. It just slides right off of us because the blood of Jesus covered us on our own. We are covered. So I thank you for that. So I pray, I pray God. We all pray. We want to be your vessel. We pray for this church to be a place of revival. We pray for this place to be a place of building. To be known uh, for, for a place that really the, the presence of God is. What else was it in that? 
prayed, was, was it you that prayed something or you know Linda prayed? That this place would be what? A congregation of people like a lighthouse, a tall lighthouse illuminating all around oh, and with a, a red a red roof so it could be seen from all over. That was what he that was what he saw. And I'm faithful to deliver that word. And so we pray we want to be good stewards. Father prepare our heart for what you're about to do. Yes. You're about to open up a new mind here, God. You're about to bless this one. You're about to change the economy. You're bringing people from different places. There's going to be yeah. people that are coming. God, prepare us to be good stewards yes. of the gospel. Yes. Not, 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 uh, not sincere, not integrous, but truly sincere, integrous, and people of strong conviction that reveal the power of our Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And God bless you. Well, we have communion. Thank you, Deanna, for reminding me. I went way over for communion. We'll do it. Amen. Um.